0: Amen. Thank you, gentlemen, for that wonderful song this morning. We are so blessed to have such talent in our churches. And especially um, thankful this morning that that in the midst of all that we face, that that God is close to us. Invite your attention to the book of Exodus chapter 17, book of Exodus chapter 17. Very, I guess it's one of those common stories, one that we uh, often hear in Sunday school, and uh, I don't suppose that I'll say anything you've never heard before. And, but I don't know that that's my job. Oftentimes we need to hear over and over and over again, at least I do, in order to get it through my thick head. And uh, this morning, i if I'm not preaching to you, uh, thank the Lord, but I'm probably preaching to myself, and uh, trust the Lord will help us. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Exodus chapter seventeen. Let's begin in verse eight. Came Amalek and fought Israel and routed them. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel, and when he let down his hand. Moses' hands were heavy, and they took the and put it on the and he sat there on. And Aaron and her on one side, and the other the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the years of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nizi. For he said, The Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Father, we ask this morning... you'd come to our hearts, that the words that were written down 4,000 years ago, that they would find a resting place in our hearts, and that we would learn from them, and that we would go forth victorious. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Israel had just left Egypt. They had had God fight for them. God had given the dry ground to walk across the Red Sea, had thrown the Egyptians into the sea, as they sang. Their enemies had died. And not one of them had to lift a sword or a spear or a shield in that great victory. And you will read, if you would, right afterwards, songs of praise to the Lord as He had gotten them out of Egypt and defeated Pharaoh and his army. And there's a time of praise. And then there's a time of moaning and complaining. You know that often happens. Victory, praise, complaint. <laughs> they needed bread and they needed water. And these things God knows we have need of, but, but the people were grumbling and moaning and God provided. And so now things are good. Uh, Egypt is done with and, and uh, we've got our bread, we've got our water, we're doing well. And Amalek decides, you know, uh, we're not big fans of a million plus people going through our our land, and we're just going to go and fight them. What's sad is, is these are their kinsmen, really. I remember right, Amalek is the descendant of Esau. These are, these are, should be family. But they've come out to do battle. And this time, this time, God's not going to just give them the victory. He's not going to throw them into the sea. He's not going to burn them up with fire. or He's not going to rain down hell or, or, or any kind of, uh, uh, of natural disaster upon them. The children of Israel are going for the very first time in their uh, history, It's going to be country versus country. People versus people. Sword versus sword. And I would say you'd have to be a little bit frightened. Moses says to Joshua, go draft some." Now I don't know this morning where what men you would pick. These are men who have been slaves in Egypt all of their lives. None of them have went to military school. I'm not sure how Joshua got to be captain. I'm not sure what military strategy he would know. I'm not sure what qualified him for this position. But God must have told Moses, Joshua's the man that's going to, he's going to follow you in leadership. You You need to start giving him some responsibility. Tell him to have a draft. And they go to war. What I know this morning is that every single one of us here is either fighting a battle or will fight a battle soon. Some of us are facing... Some big things in our personal lives. Some of us have financial concerns that are bringing us down. Some of us are trying to get back into the routine of school and all the stress that goes with that. Some are facing decisions that you don't know what's right or what's wrong. And maybe there's not even really a moral component to it as far as that goes, but you just don't know what's going to uh, have a good outcome or what's going to have a bad outcome. And some of you are fighting battles and you don't even know it. You're making decisions that you don't even realize the consequences. You can't know that a small decision will have a great big effect in the direction your life takes. And maybe you do know, but you just don't know which decision will have the best outcome. And it'd be nice if God would just come in like he did for uh, uh, the years. It'd be wonderful if he'd just provide a clear path uh, split the Red Sea wide open and just let you walk through, knowing you're in the perfect will of God, and you just walk through that and how wonderful it is. And then, as the enemy pursues you, he just covers them up and you don't have to deal with it anymore. But God doesn't always work that way. I wish this morning that I could say that He does. I wish I could say that his will is always perfectly clear. He makes a pathway through every Red Sea you'll ever face. I wish I could tell you he will destroy all your enemies. But he doesn't always do that. And sometimes he calls us to grab the sword and the spear. Grab the shield and the helmet and go into battle. So when you face a battle, what can we learn from from it? This is Joshua's first battle. This is Israel's first battle. What do we learn? I think the first thing that I noticed right away is that there is a need to prepare for battle. need to prepare for battle. As I understand it, in Alaska, they have these great big bull mooses. Is it mooses or moose? I don't even know. Moose, just moose. My wife's English teacher, she'll, she'll tell me. These great big bull moose. And in the, in the world, they, they're very territorial and they're, they're going to crack heads together. I am so thankful that I'm not a bull moose. I, I would not like to have to show my strength and superiority by busting my head up against another guy. I'm glad I did not have to impress my my wife so that she would marry me by banging my head into another guy that liked her. I'm just very grateful for that. But these these bull moose will will run at themselves and they'll hit each other and they'll slam their antlers together. And here's what'll happen. They're in the process, antlers break. And the antler that breaks is the one that lost the battle. So the battle really wasn't fought that day. The battle was fought all the way back in the summertime by the bull moose that was eating the best diet to have strong antlers. It wasn't determined on the battlefield which bull moose was the winner. It was determined by the diet beforehand. Athletes amaze me. They really do. They these long distance runners and these and, and these that especially the you know they're running up and down their court or the field or whatever they're doing. And, you know, they have a big game that day. Do you think they go and eat donuts for breakfast? No. In fact, I understand that Tom Brady, who's considered by many to be the greatest quarterback, has a personal chef, and he does not eat any foods that do not work against inflammation and there's some foods as I understand promote inflammation one of those I guess is the tomato so no tomato products are in Tom Brady's diet because it would create inflammation in his body and keep him from performing at a top level I think it'd be really hard to go without any tomato products There goes your pizza and your spaghetti and your lasagnas. There goes your ketchup. And I guess the list would go on and on of all the things that we find the tomato in. But Tom Brady believes that in order for him to perform at the highest level, that he can only consume foods that work against inflammation in his body. And they've written articles. They've had, They've uh, reporters have gone to Tom Brady's uh, 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 chef and, and asked him what kind of diet, what what do what do you serve? How do you how do you do this? And, and and you can you can Google it if you want. There's whole research done because Tom Brady believes this. To win the football game, he has to prepare himself every day. The game isn't won between the markers. The game isn't won on the field. The game is won in his mind. Not even on the practice field, but at the table. He's prepared himself for battle. And if a man who is going to go into battle over a football. And I understand there's millions of dollars at stake in all these things. But if he's willing to dedicate himself to preparing himself for victory over a corruptible crown, a corruptible trophy, if he's willing to do that, how much more are we who are wrestling for an incorruptible crown. Must we prepare ourselves for victory? Now, I'm not suggesting that you don't eat tomatoes, and I'm not suggesting that, that, you've, that you should go out and run uh, uh, marathons. But what I am suggesting is that, spiritually speaking, we must prepare ourselves for battle. How do we do that, Pastor? Well, are a lot of ways we do that. The first thing is, is in times of peace, we develop and take care of our weaponry. I thought it was interesting as you read through this. Now, uh, Israel's not been very long out of Egypt, and they have won this war by the edge of the sword. Where did they get a sword from? That's a fair question, isn't it? Where would they get a sword from? How did, how did they outfit their army with, with swords and spears? How did, or, 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 uh, or, or with uh, shields? I mean, I don't know what all they had. All we, so the scripture says that they defeated them with the, that Joshua discomforted them with the edge of the sword. Where did they get the swords from? Well, I don't think any of us can know certain. But Adam Clark, who's usually not too crazy usually he's pretty learned and knows what he's talking about, says most likely they got him off from the Egyptians that were or drowned in the Red Sea. That they went, and, and now it never records it, there, it records all this praise and all this singing that they're doing, uh, but it seems to me that, that Moses, maybe it was Joshua, who had the responsibility, I don't know, but someone said, You know there's a whole bunch of swords out there and there's armor out there that's in the Red Sea. We ought to get that. We might need that someday. I'm not sure whose idea it was. Maybe God told Moses. I'm not sure. But it seems reasonable and it seems very likely because they didn't have any allies that they could get swords and weaponry from it seems reasonable that they went out and they gathered those things out of the Red Sea so that they could be prepared for a battle they didn't know was coming. Folks, we're going to have to be prepared for battle. We're going to have to be in the place of prayer and in the place of our scripture reading when things are going well if we're going to be ready for when the battles come. You know, it amazes me that we get into the battle, and people say, "I just can't handle it. I just can't. Ha- oh, what I'm going through." Did you, did you train for it? Did you train for the battle? Paul tells us that that if you're going to win, you've got to train for this race. You don't you don't just say, you know, uh, I, I'm going to go run the Boston Marathon. If I went out and tried to run the Boston Marathon, I would fail miserably. And what's sad is there's 50-year-old people that can do it, and I'm not 50 yet. There's people that are probably older that run that thing. But I can't run it because I've not prepared my body to run a marathon. And I would hazard a guess that the vast majority of the people here couldn't run the Boston Marathon. Not unless they gave you a scooter or something. <laughs> might, might be able to run it if we, we were given, you know, like 10 days to run it maybe. <laughs> but if we were, we were going to do that, what would we have to do? We would have to start training now. We'd have to start running. We'd have to start eating right. You, some of you are going to have to cut out some frequent trips to Sonic or Ernesto's you're uh, you're gonna have to reduce your potato chip intake and your chocolate intake you're gonna have to change your habits when you get up you're gonna have to get up a little earlier and start running before you go to work when you get home from work, you're going to have to do some running. On your weekends, they're not going to be days off. They're going to be days of training, preparing yourself for the race. How is it that when we're on the mountaintop and we're doing well spiritually and we're not facing battles, why is it so hard for us to study God's Word and to spend time in prayer? It's because we're not thinking about the battle that's coming. We're just enjoying the smooth sailing right now where there's a storm brewing. There's a storm brewing. You know, there's a, there's a false thing out there that says that God won't give us things that we can't handle. That's false, folks. God will give you things that you can't handle over and over and over again. And we will have to put our trust and our confidence in him. And, and folks, if we're, not, if we're not gearing up for it, we're not going to be ready for it. We're just not going to be ready for it. Joshua had to prepare. Joshua, take out and draft some men. I wonder if in the days between the Reds, crossing the Red Sea and, and this, if Joshua had been leading military exercises. I wonder if he'd been training men, because he's choosing out these different men, I wonder if he knew which ones were ready and which ones weren't. We really don't know all that Joshua went into that preparation. But we know that they gathered weapons and we know that they were ready to fight a battle against people who had much more training than they did. I know that God helped them. But I believe that a lot of it had to do with preparation. God knew the children of Israel weren't ready to fight the Egyptians. And God came in and defeated the enemy. But it was time for Joshua and the children of Israel to start being able to take some steps on their own. It's nothing to carry a baby around. But when they get to be a certain age, you start saying, You need to walk yourself. (laughs) They're getting a little heavy. And I believe it's God's intention for His people to start walking. And you're new saved, He'll help carry you carry through. And there are times even in our old age like lambs in His bosom are born. But there's an int- God's intention is for His children to walk not alone but w- with Him but still walking. Or we're going to have to prepare for it. I believe that if we're going to fight this battle's spiritually, that that we will face. Not only are we going to have to be prepared for them, but we're going to have to partner with others in order to win them. Moses says to Joshua, go out and fight them, and good luck. Hope you do well. Is that what happened? Not at all, is it? Moses is 80 years old. He's not... A fighting man you don 't see too many eighty year olds in battle swinging swords, and I, I suppose there's some here that probably could, but when you get to a certain age, you can 't go into battle like you used to, and Moses knows he can 't Moses knows that he can 't lead his Lead those men into battle. He knows that he can't wield a sword and he knows that he he's not a man of, of war anymore. There was a time when he was young and, and he was able to slay the Egyptian. He was he could he could have fought but not now. So Joshua, you're young. You've got expertise. You've got ability. Pick out some men. You go and fight. And I'll go pray and I'll go pray so here they go Joshua's got his army Amalekites are there Moses is on the hill and you know Moses didn't go alone Aaron and her went up there I'm so thankful Lord and and let my parents call me her that would be a terrible name just a little aside there but Aaron and Hur, they're, they're up there. I, I don't know exactly what they were doing there. I'm sure Aaron, being the, the high priest, he, shouldn't, he probably shouldn't be in battle. And, and maybe is older. We don't really know a whole lot about him. But, but here they are, standing on either side of Moses. And Moses has got the staff, the rod of God, that, that God had given victory over the Egyptians with it. He's lifting it up. And as he's lifting it up in the place of prayer, Joshua and his men are winning. They're doing great. But you know, and I almost, see, it was, it almost challenged you to do this, to raise your hand the whole time I preached. Keep both hands up. <laughs> see how long it would take before you, your hands would start coming down. <laughs> I think probably he kept one hand up at a time. That'd probably be the smart thing. He had the rod up in his right hand, and and we're gonna we're gonna have victory. And Lord, help us to. This battle's taking longer than I thought it would. And so he switches hands. All right, we're, Lord, we're we're needing victory here. This is this is our first time in battle. This is we we need your help. Probably guessing Aaron and her are beside him man. ask and joining him in prayer, and trying to encourage. You know, you know, it's hard to pray all day long. You know. You know, there's, it's one of the reasons that corporate prayer is helpful is because you know there's a little lull and someone else will get start praying and, and and that'll help us along and then there'll be a little lull and then someone else will and so here they are they're praying and and and, and together and, and Moses says man that left arm man I'm getting tired he's eighty years old he's not as young as he used to be he switches hands again oh that that's all right and then he begins praying and you know. What? It's all day long. This is a long battle, and Moses is trying, but his hands are getting weaker and weaker. And as his hand starts coming down, the battle's not going as good for us. Aaron and her. Uh, open their eyes from their time of prayer, they see what's going on. I, my guess is they never closed their eyes. They were probably watching the bat, praying, uh, watching pray was probably their theme that day. And they realized that when Moses, I don't know who noticed it. Maybe it was, maybe it was her. Her said, you know, Moses, when your hand starts getting down a little bit, we start, we start losing. And Aaron maybe looked over and said, you know, her, we ought to get Moses a rock so he can sit down on it, because, you know, they don't have lazy boys yet. So they get this rock, and they sit Moses down on it. And so now he's, he's sitting, and he's trying to keep his hands up, but he's still weary, he's still tired, it's all day. And so while it's in the right hand, maybe Aaron's over there, putting his hands up underneath his, his uh, elbows to keep his hand raised. And Aaron says, you know, I'm getting tired holding up this arm and this, that's holding this rod, you know. Hurry, you take a chance. So they turn. So they switch it over and, and here they are holding up. Here's her holding up the left arm, trying to keep it under the elbow as Moses is lifting up that rod. So they're watching, praying. And then Joshua gets the victory. It took four men plus the warriors to win that battle that day. So often when we preach this, or when we tell it to children in our Sunday school, we talk about Aaron and her lifting up Moses' hands. But it just wasn't those two. It was Moses as well. It was was Joshua leading the battle. It was the warriors that, that went into and followed Joshua and trusted his leadership. First time they'd ever been in battle. You don't usually make up an army of all rookies. It's not the way that the Romans would do it. The Romans always would have the veterans at the front and the new recruits at the back. And as the battle would go on, they would blow a whistle and, and the people in the, the warriors in the back would go to the or in the front would go to the back and the next man would be up. And the young guys would be watching the older guys that were fighting in the, and how they fought. And when it was their turn, they had been in battle for maybe already a half hour or an hour. And they've had time for their courage to, to, to well up in their... And they've seen the battle. They've seen how it works. And if they trust in their training, that they would have victory. And Rome won a lot of battles by having the veterans at the front and the new recruits at the back. But Joshua couldn't use that tactic because he didn't have any veterans. They had to go into battle as all raw recruits. But they were willing. And all of them working together, they got the victory. I've said a lot to say this. Stop fighting your battles all by yourself. It doesn't make any sense, and it's not biblical. I just need me and God. Me and God. We can figure it out. Just my wife and God. We'll figure it out together. Just the three of us. Where is that? Where do you, Can you find anywhere in Scripture where that's true? Can you find any place in Scripture where it's just you and God solving the problems by yourself? So often over and over and over in scriptures we find God bringing together a community to bring victory. Abraham's going to go into battle to save his nephew Lot. His nephew's been captured in a war and he's got his men and they're ready to go. And is Abraham going to win that battle by himself? Oh no, God sends Melchizedek. The great spiritual priest and, and uh, a type of Christ to bring strength and help to Abraham before he goes in the battle. Over and over and over and over in Scripture we find Paul Who's he got with him? He's got Barnabas. He's got got Silas. He's got Luke. He's got a whole contingent of people, Titus and Timothy, that are with him in the battle. I remember a young young man, I was working with him. I was teaching at the Bible college. And I I remember I was praying with him at the altar. He is always going to the altar, over and over and over. He's going to the altar. And And I asked the young man, I said, Hey, tell me what's going on. Can you, you want to share with me what, what your struggle is? No, I just, just me and God. i I just got to talk to Jesus about it. i just got to talk to Jesus about it. Well, I'm not one to push my way, and so I just let him talk to Jesus and watch him come back to the altar over and over again and keep failing. And I remember I got a phone call in the middle of the night, literally 2 or 3 in the morning. It was another young man from the Bible College in the dormitory that said, "The young man that, that I was telling you about, he's up all night and he's, he's in crisis. He's in an absolute crisis. None of the guys in the dormitory are asleep. We're all trying to work with him, but he won't talk to us. Can you help him? At 3 a.m., I'm, a, I'm as bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to do battle with the enemy. I said, sure. He comes on and he's bawling his eyes out. I said, what's going on? Just got to talk to Jesus about it. <laughs> and here was what the amazing thing is God, the Holy Spirit, just said, you know what? Enough. And he told me exactly what that young man was going through. And I said, I called him by name and I said, is this your problem? And it was exactly his issue. And you know that after that conversation, he got victory over that battle. He got victory over it because he quit trying to fight the battle, just him alone. And I've thought many, many times, how much sooner could he have gotten victory? He's now a, a pastor, and he's in demand. People like to have him for camps and revivals, and, and he's a great preacher. And I think, man, if he, if God hadn't revealed that to me, if he would have kept it to himself, and he kept saying, if I just do it by myself, he never would have become the man of God that God intended him to be. And folks, I, I just... I just would encourage us. We sang the family of God. I'm, just, I'm amazed by the songs you picked out this morning because they fit just so perfectly with the message. It's exactly why we have a family. It's why we have a glorious church. We are the army. Why are you fighting your battles all by yourself? You, I'm an army of one. Well, let me tell you, the enemy of your soul is not going to just send one after you. He's concerned about getting victory over your soul. He cares about victory enough he's going to send a whole host of demons and individuals and all sorts of things to undermine you spiritually. He's going to send an army after you and if you're going to be an army of one you're going to be a hero I'm afraid the likely outcome is you're going to lose. You're going to be defeated. You say, I'm embarrassed about the battle I'm fighting. That's why we're family. That's why we're family. In family, there shouldn't be embarrassment. There really shouldn't be. You ought to be able to tell your spouse anything without being embarrassed. You should be able to. You should be able to, or for your children to be able to talk to you about anything without them being embarrassed. You wouldn't want your children to be too embarrassed to tell you about whatever they're facing. Children are five, or five. If you're a parent here uh, this morning, you want your children to be able to tell you what's going on in their lives. You want them to feel comfortable doing so. Because you're family. You love them. So why are you fighting this battle all by yourself? If you don't want your children to fight their battles all by themselves, and you don't want your husband or your wife fighting their battles all by themselves, why are you fighting this battle all by yourself? It's not biblical. It doesn't make you more spiritual. It doesn't make you a a spiritual superstar or whatever it is that you think it is. It doesn't make you anything except for vulnerable. Do you know what keeps us from asking people for help for from getting help? It's pride. It's really what it well, oh, I'm sanctified. You put your sanctified thing back in your closet for a moment. If you can't ask somebody you believe that can help you for help, it is pride. It's what it is. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I've, uh, 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 let's, let's cut all that nonsense out. It's pride. It's pride that's keeping you from being honest with yourself and with others. Now, I'm not saying get up and stand up in front of everybody and say, I want everybody to pray for me. I'm, uh, I'm terrible with finances. We're in debt. Three years income. I'm not saying that. But maybe you know that someone here is really good with, with budgeting and finances. And you say, you know, we're terrible at finances. And we keep, we keep failing in the area of our finances. And we think God's got something better. But you seem to have your finances figured out. Can you help us to budget and live by it? Well, oh, I can't do that. What would they think of me? Who cares what they think about you? their family. You know Satan's going to use that pride thing against you over and over and over to keep you failing. I'm not trying to be hard this morning. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to back you into a corner. I'm just trying to help you to understand the reason we have a church family is because we're supposed to be helping each other make it to heaven. If it wasn't important to have a church family, God wouldn't have instituted the church. This would not be what Jesus would have done. He, would have, he, he could have been much more... We could, have, we could have reached the world for Jesus if he would have just all sent us out on our own little quest to reach the whole world for the Lord. But he knew we can't do it by ourselves. We need our family. And Satan's going to keep using that pride against you to keep you from saying... You know, I just don't know how to, to work it out. My wife and I are having issues. I don't know how to work it out. My kids aren't turning out the way that I want them to. I don't know how to work it out. My my devotional life keeps falling. I don't I can't I don't have the discipline for my devotional life. I don't know how to work it out. I keep viewing the wrong things on the internet. I don't know how to work it out. I keep disrespecting my husband. I don't know how to work it out. I, 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 I don't know how to talk to my wife. I don't know how to work it out. I keep being angry all the time. It takes a lot of courage to say, I don't know how. Can you help me? I can't solve this battle by myself. Can you help me? Here's something that I, I truly believe this. When we are doing what God wants us to do and we're trying to mind him the best we can and we've got an area that keeps, we keep struggling in, God will or has already provided someone within our church family, maybe not just this church, but maybe our extended church family. Maybe we've got to go over to Independence. Maybe we've got to go to, to Scammon or wherever but there's somebody that is provided to us in our church family who can help us with the problem that keeps tripping us up. I believe that with all my heart, that God in his great army has provided us someone that will partner with us as a champion in that area that we're struggling with. We've got to remember to partner with others. Maybe you just need your hands lifted up in the place of prayer. You just need to say, I need people to pray for me. Or just things aren't, aren't working out at work the way that I, that I want them to work out, or, or whatever. My, my kids are in, in trouble, and can you just lift up my hands? Oh, folks, if we're going to win this battle, we're going to have to partner together. We need a Joshua. We needed a Moses and Aaron and a Hur and a whole host of others that don't have a name, but they carried the sword in courage and in battle. Joshua wouldn't have won that war all by himself. And finally, we've got to give God the praise. How many victories have, has God given us that we've forgotten to stand up and say, "I want to thank God for giving me the victory." How long has it been since we've, we've stood up and we've said, I want to thank God that I was in a spiritual battle all week long and God's given me the victory. The sun is shining once again. How long has it been since we've said, I just need to report that I'm still saved and still sanctified. I'm still in the battle, but I want you to know I haven't lost a thing. I'm still fighting, still holding on to what I know is true. On that altar that was built, wrote Jehovah Nisi. Brother, you're not going to believe this. Means the Lord is my banner. Wave the banner. Shout his praises. Wave the banner. Shout his praises. The Lord is my banner. We don't fight wars like we used to. But throughout history, I don't know when they quit doing it, probably I think in the 1900s. I know in the, in the Civil War they did it. They had somebody who was the color guard. Somebody who carried the flag of the United States and another who would perhaps carry the flag of, of that particular troop. In high school, we were we had to watch the movie Glory. It was about the first uh, African-American uh, uh, tr- uh, infantry group that fought in the Civil War. I'm not necessarily recommending it. I don't really remember all the details. It probably has things we don't agree with. But I just couldn't get away from this. As I was preparing this message, I remember, I remember it's to the last battle that in, the, in the movie. They're going to attack a fort. I don't even remember which one. It's been that long since I've watched it. But I remember you have all these black men who are about ready to go into this battle, this, and they're going to try to take this fort for the Union. They're fighting for their brothers and their sisters who are still in slavery. They're fighting for their own honor, their own recognition as black people in a white society. And I remember, as the captain, who was white, he asked this question just as they're about to go into battle. He points to the color guard and he says, "If this man should fall, who will take his place and pick up the flag? Who will do that?" And one of the honorary guys has volunteered. But I just this morning. Seems to me we've let the colors touch the ground. Seems to me that we've brought honor to the banner when we don't pick it up and wave it. Folks, I'm not saying that you've got to do it in a certain way. I know we were talking about last Sunday around the table about how there used to be a lot more shouting in this church. It doesn't have to be shouting. It's nice if it is, but it doesn't have to be that. It, it doesn't have to be that you put your hand up and wave it. Used to be a time when people would shout until their hair fell down. I've never seen that. You hear tales of people running the backs of pews. I think I've only seen that once. I'm not talking that we have to have particular demonstrations of the Spirit. But what I'm saying is, is have you dishonored God by failing to bring him praise? I'm so cautious. When we get into and I and I don't want to I don't want to get on a hobby this morning, but I don't want my I don't want to have dead song services. It worries me. You know, we criti- sometimes people in our, in our circles, they'll criticize the churches with contemporary music, with words that don't mean anything, and people are jumping around, dancing around, acting, looking like idiots sometimes. But you know, they've, they've got a little bit... That, whatever they're singing about, they act like they mean it. Do we act like we mean it? When we say it's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle? Do we act like we really mean those words? I'm, again, I'm not being critical of this morning. I was just having my own little worship session over there. I, Oftentimes, in song service, I close my eyes. I'm not going to look at you all because sometimes it's depressing. <laughs> I mean, you're saved, but you haven't informed your face. We ask for testimonies and it takes 30 seconds of silence before the first one begrudgingly gets up. I don't always have a praise every single service. I don't, I'm not, folks, I'm not trying to be critical this morning. I'm just saying if, if the Lord is my banner, why is it so hard for us to wave it? How hard is it to build an altar amongst those that fought the battle with us? You know, it concerns me. We'll put something on our prayer, prayer list and then sometimes we never get a report whether God answered that prayer or not. I'll say, why did we pray for it for six weeks if we're not going to find out if God answered the prayer? God answered it, but hey, we're not going to remember to thank God for it. Oh, God, help us. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Someone will say, hey, whatever happened to such and such a request you had? I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. God answered it, and I failed to remember. I'm not picking on you this morning. I'm just reminded that when God gives us victory, we need to build an altar of praise. I'm afraid that sometimes we're not getting the victories because we've not prepared for the battle or we've not partnered with others that could help us. But when we do get the victories, let's wave the banner. Let's not forget to praise him. Amalek made an enemy of the Lord that day because he picked on God's people. And God said, I'm going to blot out their memory from under heaven. He said, well, we read about them, so he didn't blot out their memory, did they? Do you know anything about Amalek? Did you study about them in history class? The only reason we even know they exist is because of God's word. They made an enemy of God that day. But I want you to know this morning that we are on the winning side. And history might forget us, And the world may not ever know that we existed. But we are on the Lord's side. And victory is sure. Victory is sure. And one day, in the sweet by and by, we're going to wave the banners and shout the praises of the victories that we've won here. Because we've prepared for battle because we've partnered with others, and because we are praising the one who brought us victory. Let's stand together. Amen. Brother Gary Kleins, would you dismiss us in prayer?